0: I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating
1: founders share their stories with us before they've made it.
0: Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results.
1: And now we're sharing these stories with you. This
0: is Unfinished Biz. It's the burden of the
1: entrepreneur.
2: Sometimes I think you have this idea, and it's always that, that moment where you don't want to give up. And I think any good idea is just surrounded by doubt and doubters. And probably chief among them, if if people are being honest, is is usually yourself.
0: On this episode of Unfinished Biz, we chat with Tim Brown, co-founder and co-CEO of Allbirds, the natural fabric footwear company that went from a Kickstarter project to a thriving startup in just two years, beating the odds in one of the most notoriously impossible industries out there, shoes. But as Tim learned, co-running a company is tough. And no amount of success will fix what's broken within the team itself. By
2: any measure, by any metric, the business was flying. And we had one of those conversations where I think we just let it all out. And the frustrations
1: and the uh, the, the challenges of working together. Find out how Tim's journey began, what drove him to press on when everyone told him to quit, and the surprisingly layered meaning behind the Allbirds company name. Unfinished Biz starts now.
0: Wayne, how many days did you wear Allbirds last year?
1: I think many people would say 365. That's I would. probably actually be a little bit less. <laughs> I basically only wear Allbirds or flip-flops.
0: That's, that's funny. I mean, it is incredible. It's one of the buzziest brands that we've seen. They're doing something really special in the way that they're actually going to market. They're selling directly to consumers online. And on top of that, they really only have two silhouettes. And I think for footwear, most people like choice. So... You know, they're really going about it in their own way. And he's
1: got to be the only guest we've ever had play in the World Cup. That's right. We caught up with Tim when he stopped by our VMG offices in San Francisco.
2: We launched a couple of years ago, um, but there is many years of backstory leading up to, uh, you know, what is seemingly
1: quite a, a quick success. Were you in the in the footwear industry beforehand? or
2: Not at all. Actually, this is my first job. Uh, my previous life, I, I had about a 10-year career playing soccer for a living. Um, I played uh, professionally in the A-League in Australia um, and was fortunate enough to go to the World Cup in 2010 with New Zealand. Um, and this idea was born towards the tail end of, of, of my sporting career. Uh, it was a curiosity project that... Um, turned into something much much more but I, I had really no idea at the time that it was going to be the business that is, it has become. I, I grew up in New Zealand, I was playing for the one New Zealand team that plays in the Australian League uh, and I was sponsored by Nike at the time. Mm-hmm. It was a key driver of my sporting career was to get free gear and uh, <laughs> you know really really, this whole business began began with a, with a simple insight really that all the shoes and all the footwear that, that I was wearing had logos all over it. And I think I saw this trend that was happening in, in uh, athleisure. It's called athleisure, which is a horrible word, but there's no other better word to say that right. sort of this blurring of the lines between work and play. And it was coming into, into apparel, but it hadn't touched footwear. And so really the only shoes you could buy in, uh, in New Zealand that didn't have logos all over them were Converse, Chuck Taylors, and I had the naive uh, insight or belief uh, based on nothing, uh, on no foundation that I could maybe make a better product
0: and the, the the desire to go footwear first.
2: Why? It, it, it felt like it was a larger opportunity. I mean, again, there was no deep analysis here. It was instinct and insight. Yeah. Um, it felt like in some ways, and I, I've been proven right, it was easy to make a T-shirt. Uh, making a shoe is something much, much harder. <laughs> right. uh, There'd never been a great New Zealand footwear brand. Right. Why was that? There'd never been a great you know, sort of uh, it didn't feel like it was, it was so dominated by just a few major companies. Mm-hmm. And the obvious question that I got asked so often uh, was why bother? Those companies are so good mm-hmm. um, that I, I subsequently have discovered it's sort of my innovation alarm uh, going off That's when, when someone sort of tells you something just is the way that it is and, and don't touch it. Uh, that that's that's worth pursuing right. a, a little bit further. That's when
0: you feel like you can mine for gold. Where it's like, oh, you know, why do it? It's like, oh, okay. A lot of people are passing it up.
2: Yeah, some might say it's a, it's, it's at the core of the entrepreneurial illness. Mm-hmm. I think that desire to go prove people wrong, um, but also to 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 go to go find answers uh, when w- you know when when you feel like you you, you know no one's giving you good ones.
0: So I know obviously the business is deep roots in New Zealand, but did you start it when you were in New Zealand? No,
2: absolutely. Well, the Allbirds thing, its, it's oh, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll pull you up into the present, yeah. but uh, you know, if effectively started making shoes, found a, uh, my first footwear factory, uh, started making shoes, largely selling to my teammates at the time. Um, it was a side project rather than a business. <laughs> they all told me they were, that, the, that the shoes were rubbish, and, and it pure, <laughs> purely at that time was a design insight. and. I think what happened is I wanted into my first footwear factory, and again started asking really simple questions mm-hmm. about sizing and and uh, construction, and then ultimately materials, and got kind of uh, you know the, the, the listen young young fella who knows nothing about this category. This is the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. Sit down and shut up. And and one of them you know the the second insight really of of the Allbirds journey was that uh, you know shoes are predominantly made cheaply. Mm-hmm. in Asia largely, mm-hmm. and predominantly out of, of, of synthetics and leathers. And so the idea, was kind of insight number two, was that uh, you could take this very simple design aesthetic and then you could use natural and sustainable materials um, to make more comfortable shoes. And the combination of, of, of great design and comfort was a really interesting thing because uh, the number one reason why people buy shoes is comfort. But if your dad tells you he's got comfortable <laughs> shoes, you assume <laughs> they don't look very good. So... Again, it, it, it was a kind of a dusty, in, in some ways obvious insight, but this idea of, of a very simple shoe with great design focused on, on natural materials in pursuit of comfort was kind of where, you know, the
1: second part of this. So Gen 1 shoe, was it made of wool? What did it look like?
2: It was leather. I mean, I still we still show uh, the very first shoes to the to, – to, we do an, a new employee lunch every month, and I, you know, I show these, the, these shoes. For a period of time, I was embarrassed about them. They've now become <laughs> – a little bit of a badge of honour to show just how far we've come and, mm. and how far our understanding or, you know, my understanding and our understanding of this category has come. Um, but the first ones were made out of leather. They were made out of leather from New Zealand, and, and I realised that was completely wrong and that there was a, you know, shoes were made poorly. It was a category that hadn't really changed for 100 years. Things were, they were still using antiquated, uh, largely, you know, manual labour to, to, to make these shoes and, and that there was an opportunity, certainly, I thought, to rethink the materials and rethink the product experience. Um, and this is where I thought I'd, you know, obviously coming from the land of 27 million sheep in New Zealand, the right. wool, wool seemed like an obvious one. And anyone who's grown up in New Zealand realises that wool wicks moisture, regulates temperature, does all these amazing things, makes the most incredible socks. Uh, and I, I just I thought, gosh, that would make an amazing shoe, and why has that not been done before? Uh, and I assumed that I'd wandered out to the corner store and buy a, a textile uh, that we could plug into these shoe designs that I was working on, and, of course, that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is what I call the rabbit hole moment of this whole project because uh, I, you know, I, I, I wanted a woolen fabric to make to make shoes out of, and I had to apply for an innovation grant from the the farmers from a farmer funding body in New Zealand. And I was still playing soccer; I knew nothing or very little about shoes. And I, ro- I wrote to these guys and I said, "Look, I, I think there is a whole new category here based on nothing." Um, and uh, uh, they wrote back, probably uh, this is more a reflection of the paucity of of innovation in the wool sector in New Zealand rather than than my uh, excellent application, but I I got this grant and Mm -hmm. over the next couple of years, to the point where I almost forgot about the project, um, uh, they developed a textile for me and this was around the World Cup, so I was kind of focused on other areas and and, (laughs) uh, had the good fortune of going to the World Cup in South Africa with New Zealand for the Mm -hmm. first time in 28 years uh, which was just an incredible cap on my sporting experience. And this was all happening in the background. The side right. project was yep. kind of just right. lingering. Uh, and, and after the World Cup, we had, this, we had this great experience, and I realized that my sporting career was never going to get any better, and I decided to retire, and I went to business school in London mm-hmm. and showed up at business school in London with a little bit of shoemaking knowledge, and all of a sudden they'd finished this, this damn textile. Right. And I thought. And what year was this? This was probably 2011. So okay, the World okay. Cup was in 2010, and, yep. and I showed up to, to go to business school in 2012, I think. By the time um, we'd got there, and uh, you know, I, so I was at the London School of Economics. Mm-hmm. I was born in London, and uh, my father's English, and it was uh, where I'd always wanted to go back to school. It had always been a you know, the sporting career was a little bit of an accidental one, um, and uh, I showed up there, um, not really knowing at all what the next chapter of my life looked like. I certainly. Uh, had no uh, real feeling that this with this in, initial sort of uh, foray into footwear was going to turn into a business. Um, and I actually went on exchange to uh, Northwestern uh, and okay. to Kellogg School of Management. Yeah. And I took an entrepreneurship class with a professor called Carter Cast, who is a former CEO of Walmart.com. Mm-hmm. He's an investor, uh, actually a partner at the Pritzker Group. Um, and... I, the, it was a 10-week class and you had to come into his class and everyone had to pitch an idea for uh, for a business. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with those types yeah, of business I'm school sure. classes. And I got up and I, I pitched wool shoes and I, I got kind of, people were laughing and <laughs> uh, and anyway, the, the idea got selected and there was a team of four or five that, uh, you know, the, the ideas got culled down from 60 to 10 and the, we formed teams of five or six around the idea. Right. And for the next 10 weeks... Really went after the idea of this as a, as a true business. And it was one of those moments like it doesn't get picked in that class. I'm yeah. not sitting here talking to you. Uh, but I, I had this connection with Carter, and, um, who's now an investor. I speak with him regularly. Mm-hmm. Really just an incredible guy, um, an amazing teacher, just, just a great guy. One of those moments, you know, mm-hmm. you look back and you had one of those moments. And I got into that class, and you know, the, 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 you don't make a shoe in 10 weeks. Uh, he got to the end of it. He said, Look, this is a bad category. Uh, making shoes is impossible. Uh, it's still unproven whether you can actually do this. But for whatever reason, you, 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 you've you got an itch to scratch and you should go pursue it as mm-hmm. a business. Um, so so it was just- Given a, those dynamics, I'm in. I know. <laughs> it kind of, you know, it, it's one of those things. I think sometimes it's, it's the burden of the entrepreneur. Sometimes I think you have this idea and it's always that, that moment where you don't want to give up, but there's, there's just- and I think any good idea is just surrounded by doubt and doubters. Right. And probably chief among them, is, if, if people are being honest, is, is usually yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it was a little prompt, a little nudge, if you will, from a guy that told me not that, that it was a great idea. In fact, he told me the opposite. But he told me to go try. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I think if I look back, he said, get this out of your system one way or another so that you can move on with a, with a clear mind. And I think he, if he you know, subsequently we've talked about it, I think he was giving me advice just to sort of help me to sort of move on to, <laughs> you know, something, uh, something legitimate, uh, which I appreciated. Uh, anyway, so how do you do that? How do you launch an idea? At the time in March 2014, uh, I, I found another factory. I made up some samples with a small amount of wool that I had, and I launched a Kickstarter campaign in March of 2014. I was the factory? Uh, It was in Portugal at this time. Yep, okay. I literally found it on Google. And it was <laughs> you,
0: a, you'd be surprised how the number of times that people are that. like, Hey, how'd you find this? Anything? They're like, I, I Googled uh, it, Google, you know, I mean, <laughs> totally.
2: I got on a plane to Portugal and there was a, it was a small factory and, um, you know, I said, look, Hey, I've got this idea and, and, uh, and they made some samples up and I shot a video, uh, I flew back to New Zealand, at, I think for Christmas and we shot a video on, um, family friends farm with my brother, uh, for, I think for a thousand bucks, um, and put this thing up on Kickstarter when I got back to the UK and started looking for jobs <laughs> at about the same time
0: at this time was good
2: it- you were fully hedged yeah. on this whole thing yeah
0: exactly at this time was it just you was was it was it was
2: me and my brother was helping out and I you know I had a a buddy of mine that I used to play with who was kind of there but it, it was me. It, it, it was me with some some people very close to me right. who were were being incredibly supportive. They're just kind of giving you time, giving you advice, and yeah, and just sort of saying, um, <laughs> keep going." I guess I don't know or not, or not, but if you want to, but right, uh, my brother, you know, in particular, was a, just a resource of you know uh, of of strength and 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 just kind of again another one of those moments where he's like, "Go on, give it a crack." Right, what do you got to lose? Yeah. And so I launched this thing on, on March I th- I 2014 and I put it up and I'd explained to my mom you know, that this thing was happening and I really needed her to buy a pair her just for my fragile confidence at the time. And in four days it sold $120,000 worth of shoes. Wow. And I remember sitting in a restaurant with my girlfriend, my now wife, uh, in London and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is bad. Uh, how am I going to make these shoes? <laughs> and and I, uh, for anyone who's ever done a Kickstarter campaign, yeah. You know, you make this great, these great promises at right. the front the front end, right. and so I, I shut it down after after four days, and it was on track to do you know well over a million dollars. This thing was going right. crazy. It had been picked up by press and every
0: and was that organic? Is just people largely
2: organic. I wow. mean, and uh, you know, I'd send it out to friends and family, and, and, and uh, it got put on the front page of
1: Kickstarter, and you know, yeah. uh, a
2: bunch of press in New Zealand. Had um, the
1: shoe ever been run? actually on a commercial run at the Portugal factory yet? When no, you did, no, no, not at all. <laughs> so yeah, it's $120,000 worth of orders. Yeah, I think it was and a thousand pairs of shoes, yeah. where I give or take.
2: That's right. It was all I could make. Right. I didn't have any yep. more textiles, uh, any more of the, this, this textile that, again, was not commercially scalable. Uh, I, I mean, I'd been testing this thing for, for a couple of years off and on in different right. forms. So uh, I, you know, I, f- I felt confidence in the direction. Um, but there was just a complete naivety, and it kicked off what was really the, you know, the the worst twelve months of, of of this journey by far. And I was in London, and uh, you know, I, I finished my. I was writing my dissertation at LSE, mm-hmm. and, and anyone who's ever lived in the UK, it starts getting grey and dark over the winter. Yeah. I don't know if you've been there, and yeah. it starts getting dark. You can feel the day starting to end at sort of two o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> and then the so sun doesn't come up till nine. So it's not helping. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I just I just remember uh, my dad started calling me a cobbler, uh, <laughs> just and I was like, well, you know, you just go through this period, uh, and I was doing and I was shipping these shoes. I think I forget how many countries at twenty five. I don't know how many countries. <laughs> Um, ended up the factory ended up making the sizing wrong for men, so they made the, the women's and men's sizes effectively the same thing. Which Oy. which you don't need to know too much about shoes to know that that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I you know start sending these things around the world, and uh, and it actually turned out that my you know, one of my very first customers on Kickstarter is my now business partner, uh, my now co-founder of of Allbirds, and uh, our wives were were best friends. Uh, they went to they were roommates in college uh, at Dartmouth on the East Coast, gotcha. and um, and uh, jo, yeah, Liz uh, Joey um, bought a pair of shoes, mm-hmm. I think, because uh, my my wife had sent right. these out and said, you know, support this poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we've we've got this old like this email exchange where he got back and he goes, great, really, you know, so pleased, proud, you know, this this is cool, really cool to see this sort of just a supportive kind of note right. from a guy that I you know I knew but not all that particularly well. He said, right. is a small problem. The shoes don't really fit at all, I'm not even like remotely close. And uh, <laughs> at the very end of a very supportive yeah, email, <laughs> that's I, right. And I was at this stage; I was, you know, getting creative, and I said, "Oh, it's a whole new—you just take the insoles out, and then these things are great." And so, just try that. And, and anyway, he still he still makes fun of me because that's of my pretty good. my solution to the lack of uh, fit was to just—I was just making it up. But a lot of times,
1: the Kickstarter stuff doesn't even arrive. What was the actual gap in time from when you ran the successful campaign to till people got? received even shoes that don't fit oh, pr- pr- pretty good.
2: Oh, I, you know, good yeah yeah we, we were we were well underway so that's i great. mean i think they started to go out it was just a logistical what what, what you start to realize is 25 countries pe- right. pe- pe- people don't sell shoes online or at least the feeling the, the feeling is you don't sell shoes online because of returns and mm-hmm. fit and how mm-hmm. difficult it is and so not only did i get it wrong i was going into a category that is complicated to begin with right. with a with a product that was new with a material that was uncertain right. um and probably made a bunch of mistakes but you know again it's the classic cliche you look back to that to that year and i still it was horrible and uh there's no uh reflection that that romances the difficulty of 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 that lonely moment of of, of responding to every customer ticket and i remember coming downstairs to my laptop knowing there'd be all these customers that <laughs> were waiting or want you know there'd be something wrong i'd just be dreading it i would make you know i'd make a cup of coffee or whatever and just physically have to drag myself over to the, to, to, to the situation and try and deal with it as best i could and uh was the
1: standard answer take out the insole? i mean <laughs>
2: it was literally case by case basis and and try and do right by the right. people I think it's one of those moments and again we, as as we've started to get going and, and i've talked to 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 um, to people that are on a you know their own entrepreneurial journey, that moment when you make something and someone pulls out their wallet and give you some of their dollars is 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 a moment that changes everything mm-hmm. in, in any sort of business I think, and there's a certain contract that's signed there uh, that you have to do right by. Um, and you know, I, I I I I I did everything I could to make that. Uh, as best as as best I could, and, and I'm quite proud of actually, to be honest with you, how it all all worked out.
0: Because so obviously, at that time, you were customer service, right? You were answering every phone call, email. A couple, email of, a couple or... of young guys helping me. Okay. Uh,
2: I was self funding it. Uh, you know, still in London at the time. Still right? in London, yeah. and so basically got to the end of that year, and uh, I was I was done. I was toast, and I actually got a an, an investment offer randomly enough through uh, through an investor based in New York through a series of con- contacts, and uh, it ended up being a bad deal. Um, for, for a bunch of reasons in the way that it was structured. Uh, and, and again, another one of these moments where I asked a bunch of friends who were, who were more uh, in, 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 the, in the, the financial investment world to look at this deal, and they all gave me the sort of the perfunctory five minutes. And my wife, again, she su- suggested you, you, speak, you should speak with Joey. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy, again, that I, you know, uh, one of those moments where the business sort of turns, this guy dived in and looked at this thing just comprehensively. And said you shouldn't do it. And so I, I ended up turning it down. And it was kind of like one of those moments where at the lowest point where I was, I was about to walk away. And he rang me back a week later and he said, look, there is something really interesting here. And I don't think you're seeing it clearly. And why don't you come out and see me in San Francisco because mm-hmm. I'm at a real juncture here. And I think we could do this together really well. And I think there's an enormous opportunity here. What We're was here. his background? So he's a, he's a Cal engineer, okay. uh, Wharton graduate. And he'd been working for a, a um, out of business school a country a, a company called Solarzyme okay. uh, in the in the biotech space right. that he'd he'd helped through an IPO, and effectively what he was doing was was trying to sell a sustainable material into large corporations, and I think had been frustrated by aspects of that. Uh, super uh, smart guy, a driven guy, who effectively you know was positioned to do all the parts of the business that I was, you know, not not the right person to do Mm -hmm. and so i flew out in march of of uh you know of 2015 and i flew out to san francisco and we spent two days together and he cooked me a lamb stew and we spent two days just sketching out a business getting to know each other deeply in a way that we kind of hadn't before right and it was just one of those moments when i look back on it where you just it just sort of happened all the big decisions in your life sometimes just happen And we walked out of the. And I flew back to London. I said to my wife, "I, I I think we're going to do this."
0: Because right before that, when you were saying that you were looking to potentially even walk away, was it not just walk away from that investment, but also just maybe even the business? I I, look. I I was. I found
2: myself making shoes out of wool, and Mm -hmm. I remember going to dinners with my, you know, with, with my my girlfriend, my now wife. And it would go around the table, and people would be talking about what they, you know, what uh, they, what do. they were doing. Yeah. You know, we were kind of young, thirties. People, the careers are starting to blossom. Right. And it would get to me, and I, I, could feel my shoulders starting to tense up uh, yeah. because people were going to ask a, a, a about, you know, what I was doing, and I'd sort of, you know, mumble kind of wolf shoes, and, <laughs> and, and, and people would pat, pat, pat me on the head uh, and and kind of wish me well, yeah. <laughs> good luck, little fella, and um, <laughs> and I, I just I, I didn't know why I was doing it got it and i'd had this tremendously meaningful career i i i played soccer and and i played for my country and this mm-hmm. thing had you know had been more than i'd ever dreamed about mm-hmm. and i didn't know what was next but I, I i didn't i was quite sure it wasn't shoes and uh the fact that i found myself doing this was one of those moments where i'm like have i just kind of pushed through here just because people said that i couldn't into yeah. a into a scenario and I, I wonder how many people find themselves there. Just you know, is it? I've gone to law school because my, right. my dad told me right. to, and now I'm here. I'm like, oh.
1: I'm too. I'm in, I'm in too deep to to, to pivot. Or it's just right. like or, I'm is,
0: I'm gutting it out. but To right. what end? Right. Like I can keep gutting it out, but is that the right thing? Is right.
2: Permission to permission to quit. Right. Um, and I remember there was a moment in my in my soccer career where I, I um, was over in the UK and I was I was trying to find a contract and I'd just been released by Swansea where I'd been on trial and I remember calling my old man. Um, back in New Zealand and of course it was cold in the UK and then the opposite side of the world in New Zealand it was warm and he was cooking a barbecue at the time and I said <laughs> dad this is this is really really hard mm-hmm. And he said, just, just quit. If you want to quit, I'm not telling you to do it. <laughs> hey, wh- why, are you, why are you chasing this thing? And it was one of those moments, and I give him more credit maybe than he deserves, because he said, look, I, c- I can't talk anymore. I've got to get back to the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> and I was literally in a phone box in Wales, yeah. and it was oh. raining. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, down to about my last dollar. And he, he said, if you want to keep doing it, do it, but don't call me for permission to quit. And it was one of those moments that I always look back on my life, and I, and I think the same here. It's like, why are you – Right. Why are you doing this? Right. And, you know, and, and this is where I give Joey tremendous credit because, you know, if it's the three pillars of, of what is now Woolbirds, it starts with the design insight about, about shoes. It became a material insight about comfort. And then the third one was that uh, Joey, uh, as he talked about what he wanted to tell his grandkids about, was, was the belief that we were on the cusp of a, of a revolution in sustainable manufacturing and that... There was a need to find better ways to make stuff, mm-hmm. and he believed it. And he'd been frustrated in, in, in the pursuit of that better vision. I think in, in aspects of his time at SolarZime. and you know, he looked at the footwear category and he said, "Look, if there's a if there's a bad performer around, it's footwear, and what you're doing here, I, I think there's a real way to 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 not only make a more sustainable product, but make a better product. And it was one of those like true light bulb moments where you know where I realised. You know, that this was something more than selling shoes, and that this was a guy that I could work with on a project that was, you know, that was something that, you know, we, we'd tell our grandkids about in, in 25 years. And I, you know, I, I give him enormous credit for unlocking that. Um, and I'd be lying if I said, I, you know, without him, I would have got there. So, did you move to San Francisco after that? So, I came back to my wife and I said, look, it was a great trip, actually. Uh, and San Francisco is beautiful. Uh, and why don't we move there because I think we should go for this.
0: Yeah, and you're like, and, and he makes a great <laughs> lamb stew. And a lamb stew, <laughs> yeah. and I,
2: Actually, now that I think about it, was he was he being ironic or was that? Anyway, um, uh, and you know, to her enormous credit, she, so she was working with Google, and it was, again, you, you think about these things. She was able to transfer. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, I'll come here, but I'm not working in Mountain View. She was able to transfer almost seam- s- seamlessly into the, 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 off- the, 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 the office scale, here. Yeah. And it was one of those things. We got married that June. Uh, Joey and I set out. He quit his job. We set out um, to to raise some money. And I got married on June 6th. I think I had my bachelor party on the Tuesday. And I think Joey had uh, teed up about nine uh, invest, investor meetings in mm-hmm. New York that week. And we got married on the Saturday. And the whole thing came together in just this whirlwind of…
1: 2015, right?
2: Uh, this was uh, 2015. 2015.
0: Yeah. And when you were taking these meetings, what was it… There, was it more just a here's what we're thinking about making here's what the business plan is going to look like and here's who we are or like how far along were you at that point
2: you know uh, it, it, it was interesting I mean I, I look back uh we weren't just showing up with a hunch mm-hmm. uh, you know I and and I, I had some 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 real scars mm-hmm. I had some nicks and scratches I'd spent some time in some factories I understood uh you know what needed to be done not necessarily that I had it but we showed up with with shoes, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'd, I'd sold 120 grand in in four days, and it was it was tangible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I look back on it, I think what we did a really good job of was to say, "Hey, this is what we've done, and this is also what we don't know." But this is an enormous category, and no one's cracked it. Mm-hmm. And and here's our thesis, and the thesis went something like this: the footwear category, everyone assumes Nike and Adidas and and uh, are, 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 make everything, it, they dominate this category, what's the point? And then when you actually look into it, you realize that the footwear category is really made up of three chunks. There's kind of performance, casual, and fashion, broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. And if you're an athlete, as I once was, and you're, Le- you're Bron James and you're going to the Olympics, Nike and Adidas make incredible products for you. It's, it's fantastic, mm-hmm. great, amazing. And then just don't touch that, served, well served. And at the other end of the spectrum is sort of fashion and it's about high price point and... Um, and that's amazing. It's about creation. And in the middle, smack bang in the middle is, is uh, you know, uh, of this multi-billion dollar category, call it a third of it, is casual shoes. And it's Foot Locker World. And it's where um, both the fashion and the performance sort of categories sell right. kind of average product. Mm-hmm. It's the product that, you know, um, is made, stamped with a swoosh, made in Vietnam for, you know, and it's trading off. You know, these, these great performance, performance products. Right. And should, you realize they're actually kind of cheaply made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to say thoughtless, but certainly not thoughtful mm-hmm. and, you know, not comfortable and certainly not uh, s- sustainably ma- minded in the way that they're produced. And, and we kind of looked at that and we said, well, there's a real opportunity there within this category. So all of a sudden you wall off casual shoes and you take out performance and you see all this white space in a way that maybe when you're just looking at the footwear category – Uh, Mm -hmm. writ large, you don't. So it's kind of, you know, key insight. And then you sort of look at it and you go, anyone who's logged on to, so point two, anyone who's logged on to to zappos.com is overwhelmed by choice. So there's this whole movement of direct-to-consumer brands that are actually innovating by taking things away. And I think that that's, you know, just been a a huge lesson for me is, is you automatically assume sometimes that innovation is about adding more and Mm -hmm. and adding more things and more features and bells and whistles. And sometimes innovation can actually be about taking things away. Mm -hmm. So the idea that that we'd set set for myself, and I don't think I'd done this explicitly until Joey and I partnered, but if you were going to make one shoe and you were going to sell it online, what would it look like? Mm -hmm. And so you have this distillation, this design process that's all about focus. Um, and many people said that that was a crazy idea because in footwear traditionally it's a wholesale model. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you produce ranges each each season and they change continuously. So the idea that you're going to go in the opposite direc- direction and offer a singular solution mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in the sneaker category, uh, we, you know, we launched with a singular shoe uh, and it was built to live online. Um, and so kind of point three, the category itself and, and footwear is completely dependent on wholesale and there is a way there's a mentality about the, the way the category works that is not designed or pointed to a, a direct consumer model and relationship with the consumer so if you do make a singular product and you point it towards feedback and you, you, you continually update and improve that mm-hmm. you, you, you have a whole business and product strategy that's pointed that, that, that is designed around this channel right. and that's the story we told and you know, I think we we as we told it, we we grew conviction, um, and of course this is this is only contingent that all the, all this all, all those insights only work if this
1: is a product that people what, like. Was the brand? At what point did you name name the company? I, I had a
2: different name, so what? at this stage, I we literally showed up at these investor meetings, and I I'd, I'd actually made it I think a hash. I used a different name actually for the Kickstarter project yep. that I'd made up and and uh you know do you remember what it was it was 3 over 7 and i okay. i it was it was just a, it was i mean it's bad that, what does that mean that? Oh, i mean yeah. it was it was about 3 days a week and I, I to be honest with you i can't even remember and i can but i'm going to pretend like i can not it was that bad <laughs> it was that bad all right but but the product the product i mean if you're looking product market fit whatever okay. it is the mm-hmm. Kickstarter, there was there was a real from the, the the beginning there's been a clear vision of over what that product right. looked like that's right and um and it's taken an awful long time to get there, but I, that was clear. The brand, I think, needed to be uh, rethought and built around you know these emerging insights mm-hmm. and the sort of evolution, evolution of this third pillar of, of the business around design and comfort and sustainability, and, and Joey really. And so we raised this money. Uh, we incorporated the company in, I, I think, uh, July uh, of, of, of 2015, uh, we raised a, uh, a little bit over a couple of million dollars led by Lira Hippow, Ben mm-hmm. Lira, put yep. tremendous faith enough in us. Mm-hmm. And, us. Um, and you know we moved to San Francisco and we started working out of Joey's mother-in-law's place in San Rafael uh, with his dog Walt. And <laughs> you, again, you have the, the second moment. It's like, oh gosh, what have I done here? We're back doing this. Right. Um, but this time there was just a this this was uh this was the opportunity to go do it right mm-hmm. and it and and the project and the progress and, and the journey thus far deserved
0: this effort so what were the now that you've raised you've got a couple million dollars what were the dollars primarily for brand okay
2: yeah it was a huge
0: hole um,
2: it was uh about building a supply chain uh that was world class it wasn't about finding a factory on Google it was, <laughs> a, it, it was about um you know it was it was about uh working at finding an innovation partner for the textile and i'd done mm-hmm. a lot of the early stuff right on, on this but right. joe was able to come in with his you know sort of business uh, uh, strategic uh, brilliance and and build a supply chain and we just look i, th- I think from the beginning we backed ourselves that to to, to build the type of the, the opportunity was enormous and you know to, to have ultimately the type of impact we wanted to really have and tell our grandkids about and mm-hmm. truly shake up a category and. And be part of a you know it's a lofty goal, but a a revolution in the way things were made. It needed to be big, and from the very beginning, we built a supply chain you know t- to scale. Um, you know, we we eventually found an office, and then on March of 2016, uh, we launched as 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 Allbirds at allbirds.com. And how did and how d I think we're gonna ask the same yeah. question? How did
0: that name come about? Was that part of the brand? Yeah, we we or? we work
2: with some people to to to, to, to come. Um, to come up with that. And it was a painful process. And anyone who's ever named something <laughs> will, will, will tell you that it's can appreciate it. It's, it's awful. Um, uh, I remember talking to my wife as we zoomed in on the name all And I said to her, I go, I think, I think, I think it's going to be all And she said to me, okay, so you, you, you make shoes from wool from New, New Zealand and you're going to name it after birds, which is completely nothing to do with the, the brand. <laughs> And the shoes are, are called runners, but they're not for running. And none of this makes any sense.
0: But do what you need to do. Yeah, she's like, uh, so you know, I know it's. So I actually love sort of the genesis of why Allbirds. I don't know if you could share a little bit about yeah, kind of sure. why. Sure.
2: So uh, you know, the, the 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 soccer team in New Zealand is called the All Whites. The rugby team is called the All Blacks. So this All prefix has has real mana or respect in in, in New Zealand. Um, but it really uh, the when people first came to New Zealand, there was, there was nothing there but birds. It was all birds. And uh, obviously that's changed. And it was a little nod, a subtle nod to both the origin of, of this idea mm-hmm. but also to the idea that we need to tread more lightly in the way that we operate because of the environment. And you know, I think that's always been important. I don't think we've necessarily shouted that from the rooftops but you know, we, we formed a very, you know from the beginning as a B Corp. We made the environment a stakeholder in our business and, uh you know it, it was important and, and that was just a little nod and, and then I kind of loved love the, the 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 fact uh, flight of the Concorde style that it didn't make out you know very in <laughs> any, any sense at it's, all
0: it's interesting because if you if you dig into it I think it does it does make sense but you have to actually take that step which I think is it's Kind of cool. Yeah,
2: I think I think it was, it, it, it's sticky. Yeah. And you know, if uh, if nothing else people remember it. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, as as my uh New Zealand accent adapted to an American environment. Uh, <laughs> uh it was it was reasonably easy for me to say. So that was another factor <laughs> as
1: well, so. So so you launched in March 2016. Yep. What, what was what was the what format was it in?
2: It was a it was a single shoe. Uh, we launched largely on the back of 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 you know a PR strategy um, and of telling the story um, of, of 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 a shoe that was um, that was about comfort that um, was made out of sustainable materials. We I think we had about five employees maybe at the time we launched mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of investors that were doubting the idea that uh, one shoe was a good idea. <laughs> Um, which you know? It's, that's it's a great plan as long as people like that one shoe, and if they don't, <laughs> then it's a bad one.
1: How much does that that first shoe look like? What what you're selling today?
2: R- really close, and you know it, it was funny. All the criticism uh, that we faced prior to launch, as we slowly revealed this this concept over the months, you know, as people wanted to see samples and they tried things and mm-hmm. and they go, it's, it's unremarkable. This thing is completely unremarkable. Where are the, You need some something. It's missing." And, you know, we've subsequently come to see that as a huge badge of honor, that the right amount of nothing is actually exactly <laughs> what we're Wait. doing. And and our thesis was doubted. And I think that, you know, Joey and I stuck together around the idea mm-hmm. that, no, this wasn't the time to, to hedge your bets. This was the time to double down on the thesis that had got you this far. Right. And But I, I think that's the tendency, and it, it's probably another lesson, is that, you know, there's feedback everywhere. and. It's this fine line between looking into that feedback and being open to it, um, but also ignoring the, the 80% of it that's rubbish and mm-hmm. taking on board the, the, the stuff that's really additive to, to the vision that you started this whole thing with, that building a business or, or really doing anything mean,
1: meaningful is never done with consensus. It's always what we've found with our, the best entrepreneurs who we've partnered with, is that they've seen a unique, a unique angle where to, to the average consumer or even the average person, it's like, well, why does the world need another peanut butter? Well, there's 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 a whole different um, uh, nutritional profile of almond butter. No one's ever really branded it this way. No one's ever delivered it in a unique delivery format. And I think it's similar to what you're saying, is that almost the 80% that you're speaking of, they're looking at it from a conventional footwear perspective on what society had potentially um, groomed them to think. And, and you're trying to really disrupt that paradigm
2: yeah i think so although i mean i think the disrupt word gets thrown around a lot i think sometimes you know that the the true innovation happens at the margins Mm -hmm. but the 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 classic footwear form the sneaker has been around for decades right at some point the way i used you know think about it from a product point of view is that at some point there was kind of optimal sneaker (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the pressure of zappos and of growth and of seasonal cycles People started to design away from this pure moment just right. because they needed to. Yep. And so it felt clear to me that there was at some point by actually taking this back to optimal sneaker moment yep. that you, you know, by whispering you could actually scream an awful lot louder than everyone else who was bright colours and changing things for the sake of changing it. Um, but look, I mean, you know, it's tested. That, that insight is tested. It seems obvious maybe in hindsight, but at the time it's at the margins. So I, I think that's just when you know you've got to find something deep within you. I think, and that was certainly what I think Joey and I did to just double down on the. And I'm so proud of us through that moment, through a really difficult period that we we stuck with the purity of our idea, and we were going to go down, we were going to go down all Your guns way. blazing, right. and we were going to do it our way.
1: Right? How was that initial launch? Uh,
2: it, you know, it, it was phenomenal. Uh, Time magazine called our shoe the most comfortable in the world in the first week. Um, I, you know, the it was just, I'm not going to give you numbers, but it was, it was, it was just phenomenal.
1: It were there any, away. were there any challenges like you had in your previous launch? Did the supply chain work exactly how you had hoped?
2: World-class partners, uh, almost flawless execution. Um, and a, a connection really from the beginning with the product and with the brand and the whimsy of our story and the mm-hmm. honesty, I think of our story, um, and of 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 the fact that um you know we were we were we were trying to do this meaningful thing and we just we didn't talk too much about it we just kind of got on with it and i think um we tried to have fun and uh people you know people have been supporting us really from day 1 and from the very beginning this whole business has been pointed around the consumer i think learning some of my um, lessons from the, the Kickstarter days, and I, I'm pretty proud to say I think we've made something like 27 changes mm-hmm. to the to the uh, to the product, the Wool Runner, our signature product, yep. from when we launched, based on customer feedback. So mm-hmm. from that loop and that ability to improve, know your consumer. improve, get better, and that's everything from color to the tongue spinning around to every this thing is constantly evolving and moving, and it's our competitive advantage as a business because. The rest of the footwear category tied to a wholesale model is not able to do that. Yeah,
1: you have a direct relationship with your consumer.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we've tried to think through every detail. I mean, one of the classic ones is traditionally in, in e-commerce footwear, uh, you, you take a shoe box and it's put within another box and it mm-hmm. ships. So could you turn that into one, one box? And just really trying to think through every little moment. Um, and I think we were powered by the naivety of not knowing the proper way to do it and, and – um, you know, it, it, it was it was a, it went really well for us right out of the gate
0: so one thing that I think is is really interesting is obviously you guys have a brand that's incredibly buzzy and it and it started from somewhere and so where how what lit that match for you guys? you talked about Time magazine like how did that all happen
2: yeah I, I think people want to believe in in the myth of the uh, of, of the of the you know the over silver bullet and night yeah. success and and i think any, you know anyone who's uh, labored through this story with us this morning will realize that it was a a thousand things over over a long period of time and i'm you know i'm, I'm hesitant to to, to to point to any one moment i think you know uh probably from the beginning if there's you know if there's one thing that i you know i think was significant was that joey and i um realized uh that um we needed to get really really smart people in around us mm-hmm. and that we you know there were some things that we could do well to help you know our team win and there was many things that we did not know and i think we had the courage to get great great people from the beginning and one of our first hires was was from nest levi's head of brand marketing uh julie uh who came in who is just phenomenal and we'd never you know built a, a brand from the ground up right. and done that well and i think we had the courage to to really just surround ourselves with people that were far far better than us that the majority of of things and 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 it's it's still true to this day and i think it's allowed us to move faster um i think the second thing was that from the beginning this wasn't about selling shoes i it had taken me a while to get there but this really truly was about something else and i think and i'd seen it in my sporting days when you point a group of people however small towards a, a really meaningful challenge that transcends just the a transaction or you know powerful things can happen and and from the beginning we've we've invested heavily in the idea of defining our mission and of of you know our our values and of of really making sure hand on heart um we were doing everything we could uh you know to to truly make shoes in a better way um and that didn't necessarily involve telling people about it it just involved getting Mm -hmm. on with it and one of our first hires was a head of sustainability and innovation um jad fink who uh, a super smart guy who's led that for us from the beginning and we audited our supply chain and did our first LCA and look We've got a long way to go But I, I, I think the the point being that, that we you know We were very intentional about the way that we sort of designed the team to go after this very very significant
1: problem So you're about a year and a half after launch very successful launch What's been the biggest challenge during the last year and a half?
2: Um, well, probably having a five-month-old at home <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in, in terms of the business Look, there's a challenge I- around every corner. Um, anyone who says otherwise as an entrepreneur is lying. Um, I think um, the the ability to stay focused, and you know, we still we still sell two products, <laughs> a year and a half in. Uh, we started off with a lace up sneaker, the slip on category within casual shoes. Again, when you when you isolate that was really not um serving the idea of comfort um was hugely proliferated in terms of the designs and styles so we launched our second style i think a year in a little bit over a year and so that discipline and that ability to not be tempted by a new product that drives growth that all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're like everyone else um get surrounding ourselves with with great people um making stuff's really hard that's a constant challenge and and making sure that that quality is really really high and making sure uh is, is sort of a never-ending um thing but i you know look i think the biggest the biggest challenge and the thing that i think we uh you know keeps us up at night more than anything else is is, is making sure that our our team's right and and that our, the culture of our business is right um and you know i i, I think you know, so far so good i i, I I, th- I, th- I think we've done, we've done a reasonably good job of that.
0: And how, how large is the team now? Uh,
2: just approaching 100 people, I think it's oh, a think little bit, know. yeah, about uh, 90, 90 or so. Got it. Okay. Um, uh, which includes uh, uh, some retail uh, staff in, in New York and, and uh, in San Francisco, which has been a part of the journey as well. Um, and then, you know, like I said, our office in Jackson Square.
0: Right after the break, we'll talk more with our guest, Allbirds co-founder and co-CEO, Tim Brown.
1: Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can catch up on all of our episodes at UnfinishedBiz.com and chat with us on Twitter at Unfin Biz. Subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or any podcast app of your choice. If you enjoy our show, let us know by leaving a review. And now back to our episode with Allbirds co-founder, co-CEO, former footballer, and champion of the world, Tim Brown.
0: All right, so one of my favorite questions. Has there been a, or do you think there will be, a bet the company type of moment for yourself?
2: Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. We're, we're trying to uh, make sure that, and I know this is probably, again, an answer that's that bordering on the cliche, is, is filter all those um, those types of decisions back through, through what we started this whole thing for. Uh, and it's served us pretty well so far. Maybe, m- maybe not. H- who knows? There's plenty of things that could go wrong. We're trying not to mess it up.
1: And obviously, there's been a Albert's been a huge success over the last year and a half since launch. Is there a particular high point that resonates in your mind?
2: Uh, yeah, I I, I think um, you know we uh, completed our a round of funding, and that was a that was a particular moment that I you know I know was just it felt like we were really on our way, and we you know we did that with Maveron, just an incredible group of investors, and Dan Levitan backed us, and that felt like a you know one moment that was great. I think the launch of that second product proved that we could. You know that we could. It wasn't just a one-hit wonder. That there was Mm -hmm. that we could do this again, and that the the the, the thesis stood up. And then on a personal level, I uh, I took the team back uh, or a bunch of the team back to New Zealand, and we went down and visited the farms in uh, where the wool comes from. And as a Kiwi, to be able you know with a business based here, to be able to go back to New Zealand, and my old man came down, and and uh, that was pretty. That was very very special. uh, To you know to I feel very fortunate to be away from home. From this country that's in my family uh and to, to to be so connected back there was i you know the opportunity to go down and talk to some of those farmers was 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 really special for me personally
1: you know we certainly have appreciated the the reality of how much how much uh detail you shared about your journey i guess over is there one point that's particularly resonates in your mind regarding a low
2: point? Yeah, definitely. So Joey and I, we, we'd had kind of this incredible month, like one of the better direct-to-consumer launches, you know, in history. Um, and we're about a month into it. And, uh, you know, we had we, we, we had a kind of a, a, a sort of a, a real uh, honest moment that was very, very difficult between us as founders. And we'd set up the business as co-CEOs and co-founders, and it had been a whirlwind and he'd taken an enormous risk on this idea and uh you know and as had i but i mean i think he'd in particular um you know the, the i know it was a huge thing for him and by any measure by any metric the business was flying and we had one of those conversations where i think we just let it all out and the frustrations and the you know uh, the the challenges of working together and and i look back on it as one of those things that I think set the foundation for our partnership and it was it was uh it was it was just there was a lot of honest words said and um I I I think any sort of founding relationship is difficult uh ours was uh, particularly nuanced because our wives were 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 such good friends and that Mm -hmm. was hanging over this but it it was it was difficult and I, I but I think looking back um one of those things that needed to happen um and I think
1: um how yeah. far along in the journey it was? It was a month after we launched.
2: Okay. Everything was going great. Yeah. And it was like, hey, hang on a minute. You, you know, you, you, th- this isn't working out and here's why. And the ability for us to do that, I think, set the tone for, for, for our partnership now. And uh, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. And, and I, th- I think I've got a guy who, you know, has helped make this, better than this, this business better than I could ever have imagined. I learn from him every single day and he's you know, quite different from me in the way that he thinks and in terms of his skill set, and I'm, I think it sets the tone uh, for the whole culture that we're trying to build, build at mm-hmm. Allbirds, which is about debate and discussion. No, He's in, is involved in the product stuff as I am and some of the supply chain things, and that idea of debate and discussion of left and right brains uh, banging into each other um, in pursuit of the right idea not just your idea um, has been how we've set up all birds. And it's, it's something I'm incredibly proud of. And I could probably track it back to that, that conversation
0: out of curiosity when you guys had that difficult conversation, was it just one-on-one or is that with coaching or no,
2: it was one-on-one it was over a beer at the uh, old ship, uh, <laughs> you know, with uh, and uh, it was like, Hey, this is, this is not right. Got you know? it. And i got some stuff I need to tell you got it. and it's not going to be good. That's good. And, um, and I think any sort of partnership needs to have that fail safe mechanism. And if they don't, and I, you know, it was, it was not, it was not nice, but, uh, you know, we, we, we don't ever let it get that far now. And I think, um, the ability to be honest and, 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 really sort of just course correct. I, I just can't imagine how people do this by themselves.
0: Right. And this is with the backdrop of a very successful business too. Right. So yeah. huge launch. Yeah.
2: Right. Nothing could have gone better.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
2: And there's an, there's an irony to that, which is actually is, 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 is quite a nice one, I think.
1: One of the things that was interesting was a very common theme that we hear from entrepreneurs that when they floated the idea amongst pretty much anybody, they didn't think it was going to work. But the nature of entrepreneurship is they they really don't take no for an answer and they push through it.
0: Well, I mean, I think a big part of it was he really wanted to prove everybody wrong. Like that was that was part of what drove him.
1: Absolutely. And I mean. In, in that conversation that he had with his dad where his dad said hey quit whining quit if you want Don't you don't need to torture yourself you don't need to prove anything to me son
0: mm-hmm. I mean the other part of this is that being a co-founder I mean that can be a pretty big challenge as well and Tim and Joey obviously they they really hit on something great but even in that success they had to actually encounter some, some pretty tough conversations between themselves to make it all work
1: but I think different than many times they actually addressed that early on they did before they before they through into a bigger problem. And I think that that shows really what's special between the relationship between Tim and Joey. Mm-hmm. So obviously uh, through this journey, it's been a tremendously taxing experience 24-7. What what do you find time for outside of work?
2: Uh, well, the family. Uh, that the, the, You realize when that comes along, it it comes first, and 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 that's kind of everything outside of work at the moment. And uh, I feel very fortunate about that with our with our daughter. Um, I I I don't particularly miss playing soccer, but I do miss being fit. And so, kind of running is is if, if I uh, if I have any sort of downtime, it involves that. Um,
0: I was wondering whether or not you were just tearing up some like rec leagues Exactly, out there. <laughs> I, I was, that was was my. I was like, <laughs> people just, like, yeah, just join us. It'll be, yeah. Uh,
2: I've probably kicked the ball only a few times since I retired. So, uh, no, it, it's good. I look, I just feel incredibly lucky, um, and yeah, we're working hard, but we're you know having kind of the very first time when I was doing the Kickstarter stuff. I kind of blew myself up doing it and I, I, I'm just never – we're never going to – I'm not going to ever get that far again. Mm-hmm. Uh, operating in the red is not the way to do this. Um, the process is, is – uh, it's important that you, that you do this with a smile on your face and, and you have fun along the way and it's not easy but um, you should feel fortunate and that's tried tried to be my – the mindset
1: I've tried to keep – Tim Brown from Allbirds, time for our signature game. Rapid fire, 60 seconds, first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Sure. All right, here we go. All right. First thing you read every day is?
2: Theguardian.com. What's your favorite movie? Oh, Turner and Hooch. <laughs> who's
0: That's your, awesome. Who's your celebrity crush? Oh, Karen Knightley. Karaoke
2: song you're most likely to belt out? Mr. Big, I'm the one who wants to be with you. Oh, wow. You're, oh, wow. Your you're hometown good. is
0: famous for?
2: Uh... Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson
1: What's your guilty pleasure? Biscuits. First car you ever drove? Uh Honda Accord. Runner up name that for your business that didn't make the cut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there were
2: so many bad ones. Uh, let's go with the, the brand I started with, 3 over 7, that we've we've, we've mentioned.
0: Nice. Do you recline on airplanes? Uh, yeah, w- when I can, but
2: usually uh, we're, you know, I'm in the economist seat down the back by the <laughs> toilets. If
1: you could drink one thing for the rest of your
2: life besides water, what do you choose? It's tea, and it's a great accompaniment to biscuits.
0: Nice. Uh, what was your last New Year's resolution? Uh, sell more shoes. If you were stranded on an island
1: and you could only bring one thing, what would it be? Uh where to be a toss-up between my uh, my
2: wife and my daughter. So <laughs> I'm not going to answer that one.
1: What's the last hashtag you
2: used? Uh, don't touch social media. Where is the next place you'd like to travel? Uh, back to New Zealand at every opportunity.
0: If you if a movie was made of your life, you'd be played by
2: Chuck Norris. <laughs> Talented. Talented. You, talent you don't have but wish you did. Uh, music. This it, escaped me.
0: What's your most hated food?
2: Uh, cheese American cheese why is it bright orange explain to me why that makes sense
1: <laughs> the last the next one is going to be interesting
2: I know Yeah, I want to ask you anyways if you could be any pro athlete who would you be oh that's an easy one Roy Keane he was a midfielder for Manchester United yeah. and uh, he, legend. A, an absolute legend yeah for anyone who follows it
0: nice well you know, Last question that we like to leave folks with, um, some, do you have any words of wisdom for entrepreneurs out there?
2: I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I, look, I'm, I'm in no position really, I don't think, to, 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 to offer too much advice except to say, and I'll go back to the moment we touched on when we spoke with Carter, and that is just to try. I think uh, most people talk about stuff much, much harder when you actually go do it and you throw <laughs> something out into the world and people open their wallet and you get all sorts of feedback and it's incredibly difficult but why not at least you find out and and that's the, that's the advice I got and uh, without it we probably wouldn't be sitting
1: here and, and I think it's the it's probably the best uh the only the only thing I really have to offer. Well that's that's perfect advice. Well Tim Brown from Allbirds um really appreciate having you us having you on the show. This I'm a personally a huge fan. I get um comments all the time about how I don't wear any other shoes in my life. Uh so you can see the wear on the tread here so been a real honor thank you for coming and joining us really appreciate it thank you for having me
0: thanks much you've been listening to unfinished biz i'm robin and i'm
1: wayne we'll be back in the next episode with jody levy co-founder of watermelon water the eco-friendly juice startup that was touched by an angel and when we say angel obviously we're talking about beyonce two hours after the ribbon cutting after the mayor opened the store Beyonce dropped a track to the world for free called Drunken Love. And it ended in the lyrics I've been drinking watermelon. And it was this sort of mind blowing synchronicity because the concept of drinking watermelon never really existed before two hours ago, right?
0: That's next time on Unfinished Biz. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at Unfin underscore biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com.